This program is made possible with the support of listeners just like you. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Progressive, The Young Turks, Media Matters, The Rachel Maddow Show, and Counterspin, with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from Media Matters. I spent much of my snow day on Wednesday glued to CNN and the revolution in Egypt, and what I saw horrified me, as I'm sure it did you too. Mubarak's thugs riding in on horses and camels with their whips in hand. Mubarak's thugs surrounding journalists and pummeling them. Mubarak's thugs hurling Molotov cocktails at unarmed pro-democracy forces. And now word comes that some of Mubarak's thugs fired into the crowd on Thursday, killing some pro-democracy protesters. This is the Mubarak whom the United States has been lavishly supporting for 30 years now. This isn't new. He's always ruled by dictatorial means. We're just seeing it for ourselves for the first time here in the U.S. But Egyptians have known all along who the real Mubarak was. If they dared to dissent, they knew they could be put in prison. If they dared to protest in the streets, they knew they'd get rounded up and maybe tortured. But now there are simply too many pro-democracy protesters, not just in Tahrir Square, but all across Egypt, and they've lost their fear. Mubarak's thugs can't brutalize them all, and so he will lose, and so the people will win by sheer numbers and sheer courage. No thanks to us. This morning on Fox News, well, it was probably on Fox and Friends, uh, Arthur, uh, anchor uh, Martha McCallum, who looks totally different from the other female Fox anchors. <laughs> um, she's a good-looking blonde woman. Um, she had a panel of uh, three experts uh, that uh, was very hostile, according to Think Progress, of the idea of backing protesters in Egypt. Here's uh, uh, Martha McCallum, and then you'll hear from Michael Scheuer and Terry Holt on Fox News. What about the argument that these people, you know, you hear them, you listen to what they're saying in that square, they want democracy, they're tired of being repressed, they want something better. Well, Martha, you know, it is, it is only in the minds of ill-educated Americans, and especially their leaders, to expect 32 million Muslims to reach for, in, in a time of violence and uncertainty and tumult, to reach for an alien ideology like secular democracy instead of reaching toward a thousand years of faith and trust in Islam. It is, it is absolutely counterintuitive to believe that people will reach for the strange rather than for the familiar and trusted. And you know, I Martha, really think I, that... I, I, I would like to say, can I say, I, I appreciate people's uh, sympathy and interest in democracy. That's an American instinct. But unfortunately, in this case, this is the Middle East, and, and the traditions there are, are, do not support their embracing. Uh, if they were allowed to, to vote in an open, in an open election, uh, they would uh, put themselves vulnerable and make us vulnerable to dangerous terrorism. So, 
Terry Holt is a, you know, he's, first of all, the, the condescension, if they were allowed to vote in an open election, hey man, that's up to them, okay? And, uh, and everybody should be allowed to vote. Like, we have to recognize that, Terry, and you don't get to decide who gets to vote. Uh, it's imperialism uh, or worse. Right, well, um, that's going back to the Hamas. Yeah, we don't. It's, this, it's revisiting the same. We don't get principle. to decide that, and that's clownish and bigoted and horrible. And Terry Holt's a spokesman for political hacks. So you're out. Michael Shore is a CIA analyst. And yes, I am. <laughs> um, and his point is only that we're silly if we expect them to embrace secular democracy. And that's obviously a valid point that maybe they won't. Right. And that's his point. Uh, and he's not saying don't let them vote. He's just saying... They might not embrace secular democracy, so don't expect them to. And right. he, but they all, but they also want more democracy than they have, and what it looks like is clearly going to be up to them. But you know, to presume that they're not going to accept something that nobody, nobody presumed that he, this he, would happen. All, sure, but all he's saying is they may, they may vote, and who they may elect is, is like Hamas. Yeah, they may, exactly. they may yeah. elect something that's not a secular democracy. Right. They may elect a religious theocracy, and that's who they may elect, and right. we may not like that. So that's what I took his point being, and the notion that that point should be condemned didn't strike me as a necessarily condemnable point. And I think that we have to. Just we, we, we're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that, as with Hamas, that the results of these elections might not be to our liking. And therefore, if, we're go if the inevitable tide is toward democracy in the Middle East, which I think that unless we're prepared to engage in some hideous activities that I hope we're not prepared to engage in, that that's the inevitable tide. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. We have breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. Rush Limbaugh is a jackass. The Egyptian army is rounding up foreign journalists. I mean, even two New York Times reporters were detained. Now, this is supposed to make us feel what, exactly? How are we supposed to feel? We're supposed to feel outrage over it? I don't feel any outrage over Ah, uh, we're supposed to feel um, anger? I don't feel any anger over this. Uh, do we feel happy? Well, uh, do we feel kind of going like... Nyeh, 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 nyeh. A couple of hours later... Also, according to Mediaite, Fox News' Greg Polcott and crew have been severely beaten and are now hospitalized in Cairo. Now, we were kidding before about the New York Times, of course. This kind of stuff is terrible. We wouldn't wish this kind of thing even on reporters. The 20th anniversary of Tiananmen Square uh, happened about a year and a half ago. You don't exactly celebrate an anniversary like that, but it was widely commemorated, I guess, all over the West, all over American media, all over European media, pretty much everywhere. Uh, where it was not covered so much was where Tiananmen Square is, where that happened. What the Chinese people, especially young Chinese people, think and know about that massacre in 1989 is actually quite different from what we think and know about it. When Americans think about Tiananmen Square, we mostly think of this image, right? 
a lone Chinese protester facing off against a column of military tanks. This is the iconic image of the heroism and bravery showed by those protesters before they were massacred by their own government in Tiananmen Square. But if you were born in China in the last 20 years, this image probably means nothing to you. Check this out. This is from an interview that the PBS show Frontline did uh, with young Chinese students fairly recently. Show this picture around and tell me what that picture says to you. Pass them around. They were baffled. I really can't tell anything from this picture. There's no context. Is this a piece of artwork? Did you make this up? Chinese students completely confused by what we think of as an iconic and universal image. There are, of course, dissidents in China today who continue to try to keep the truth alive about what actually happened in Tiananmen Square. Um, but the government there has really effectively maintained a 20-year-long lie about Tiananmen. 20-year-long lie that Tiananmen was no big deal. There certainly wasn't anything heroic about it, except maybe on the government side. From the government's perspective, they say they were criminals and thugs causing chaos, an anti-Chinese uprising. The government just had to restore order, that's all. They had to. One Chinese college student interviewed about this uh, by The New Yorker recently said this, quote, the Chinese government had to use any way it could to put down that event. You know, in the uprising in Iran a couple of years ago, after the bogus presidential election there in 2009, we saw that government take pretty much the same line in terms of propaganda, in terms of labeling the opposition movement as dangerous thugs from whom the government had to protect the country. The message the government wants to convey is clear. The demonstrators are foreign-inspired rioters, looters, and terrorists. Demonstrators are rioters, looters, and terrorists. In Iran, the government didn't just describe the protests as violent. In Iran, they sent government forces out into the streets in plain clothes to make their own propaganda come true, to in fact make the streets turn violent. With clubs, tear gas, and axes, witnesses say Iran today crushed demonstrators who dared to take to the streets. The militia, often in plain clothing and loyal to Iran's supreme leader, has used crude weapons, including sticks, axes, chains, and machetes. In Baharistan Square today, demonstrators say the militia attacked. In order to cement the idea that the protests in Iran were criminal, that the population needed the state to come in and establish order against these criminal mobs, uh, the Iranian government went one step further. They are among the most chilling images out of Iran. Public confessions, allegedly from demonstrators broadcast today on Iranian state television. We set public property on fire. We threw stones. We attacked people's cars and broke windows. We misused the crowds and riots and started to steal. Videotaped confessions from protesters saying, we're criminals, we're criminals. You know, there's a very slim playbook for how you survive a revolution when all or almost all of the people in your country are against you. It is a very slim playbook, but it sometimes works. And this is the main play in that playbook. This is option A for what authoritarian regimes do to try to hang on to power when their people turn against them. It's the I'll protect you from the criminal mob strategy. You need the firm hand of government to restore order against these protests because these protests aren't just protests, they're lawless thugs. That strategy is at work right now in Egypt. But right from the outset, in this case, it has seemed clear that it will not work this time. 
while Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak was speaking last night, calling the protesters looters, arsonists, he said, those who intimidated unsuspecting citizens of Egypt. While Mubarak was railing against these supposed angry mobs who were actually the protesters against him, all of the press reports coming from press who were out actually covering those protests were describing protest scenes instead as jubilant, as joyful, as having a carnival-like atmosphere. So when President Mubarak said the protests were violent mobs, was he describing reality? No, he wasn't. But he was telegraphing very clearly his strategy, what he was about to do, what was about to happen. We were even able to report last night. The last thing in our reporting on Egypt last night was essentially, here it comes. We were all get, already getting reports at that point that President Mubarak's people would be out in the streets today looking for blood, looking to make the propaganda come true, looking to make the protests seem violent. That's what we reported last night as what to look out for today. And we weren't able to say it in advance because we're geniuses. It's because the Egyptian government was telegraphing that they were going to do it. And then sure enough today, as planned, as telegraphed, totally transparently, they started the violence. For hours they've fought running battles in the streets. What began as an exchange of chants and insults quickly became much worse. At one point, pro-Mubarak supporters on horses and camels ploughed through the crowd using whips and sticks. While some answered the call to prayer, the cameras picked up where crowds found opponents separated from their group. Soon. They were swallowed up in a sea of anger and hate. The army had initially kept both sides apart, but then allowed pro-Mubarak supporters into the square. The violence erupted soon after. While the fighting continued, there has been no hint of army intervention. Pro-Mubarak forces took to the streets of Cairo today. As you saw, some riding camels and horses, wielding sticks, machetes, whips attacking the anti-government protests. According to the latest reports available, three Egyptians were killed in the chaos today. Over 600 were wounded. Protesters on the ground, as well as reporters, described the pro-Mubarak forces today as plainclothes police officers, some of whom were being paid by the government to create violence, to disrupt the protests. Anti-Mubarak protesters held up for the cameras what they said were police ID cards that they say they pulled off these pro-Mubarak forces. Again, the official story here is that protests just organically became violent today because anti-government protesters are bad people. They're looters and thugs. That is the official story. That is the way that President Mubarak is apparently trying to stay in office. But the difference here, the difference between here and Iran, is that really nobody believes it. And why does nobody believe it? Because the official story here has competition. Because the perspective of the people on the ground who can actually see what's happening, it has a way of getting out. Because there is something other than state-controlled media able to operate in Egypt and actually say what is going on. The official story here is very important to Mubarak's strategy to stay in power and defeat the revolution. And the official story in Egypt this year, in this revolution, it has competition. President Mubarak decided to stage a crackdown, not in the form of sending police in or sending soldiers in, but by sending thugs in. We've spoken to the demonstrators. They say that a lot of these people are paid thugs, enforcers for President Mubarak's political party. They say a lot of them are also plainclothes policemen. Our sister network Sky News is reporting lynchings have been widespread. Lynchings. We're told there is evidence that the government has been paying Mubarak supporters to go on the attack. 
attack. There are people who believe uh, that among the protesters on the pro-Mubarak side, there might be some people who are, are actually uh, members of the police. A member of parliament went on Al Jazeera today and admitted business associates close to the regime did in fact pay some of these pro-Mubarak protesters to hit the streets. Does that surprise you? No. The, the purpose of this may have been to intimidate the people in the streets, may have been to create a real sense of crisis to force the army's hand. The only way President Mubarak survives this revolution is if people do not believe the kinds of reports you just heard, or if the people in Egypt do not have a way to hear it. Mubarak's official story is that the protesters against him turned violent today. The official story is evident bullpucky, and it cannot survive real reporting and the protesters being able to speak for themselves. The official story cannot survive the competition of the real story. And so now, as predictably as all the rest of it, the Mubarak regime is apparently attacking the competition for their official story. They're attacking journalists. It is not an accident that so many journalists were caught up in violence today. They are singling journalists out. But we've also noticed a very distinct change in the mood here because there was a feeling that we could go out safely in previous days. But uh, today there have been a number of attacks on foreign and British journalists. Journalists across Egypt today became the subject of attacks from pro-Mubarak forces. A journalist with Gulf News in Dubai reporting today, quote, protesters are hunting down Al Jazeera journos. I keep having to clarify that I'm not one of them. One reporter from Al Arabiya TV went missing for part of the day today and was later found severely beaten and taken to the hospital. American journalists like two AP correspondents, our own Richard Engel and Anderson Cooper of CNN also found themselves under attack today from pro-government protesters, kicked and punched and otherwise obstructed as they attempted to do their jobs. The goon squads also appeared to have orders to hunt journalists. They chased us down. The clashes have started to spread outside of Tahrir Square. There was also a lot of angry people who are angry with journalists. When our crew went out to film beauty shots early this morning with no idea that uh, the situation was now different, um, they were confronted by soldiers and um, plainclothes agents. Um, they were armed, uh, they were intimidated and bullied, and in fact marched at gunpoint through the streets all the way back to our hotel. I talked to uh, some British journalists who were held for four hours today, hooded, uh, tied, uh, and, and questioned, interrogated, because someone saw them with a camera. Hooded. Today, the Committee to Protect Journalists described the turn of events as the Egyptian government, quote, employing a strategy of eliminating witnesses to their actions. This is not journalists being caught in the crossfire. This is journalists being specifically targeted. Why? Because their ability to put out an alternate version to the plainly absurd official story is probably the difference between President Mubarak surviving this revolution or not surviving it. We are all concerned for our colleagues who are there covering the events in Egypt, but this is also one of those times when it is clear how important it is that they are there. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. When news first broke of the protests in Egypt, the right-wing media didn't quite know how to react. Obviously, there's very little the United States can do, as Secretary Clinton herself said. This remains in the hands of the Egyptian people right now and the Egyptian government. Let's take a step back for a moment and ask ourselves, why is this happening? Well, this has to do with jobs and government repression, not with Jerusalem and Gaza. But true to form, they eventually settled on the same old talking point. 
it's Obama's fault. And uh, clearly, President Obama, whether it's because of his words about radical Islam, his failure to really condemn it, his failure to name terrorism as Islamic terrorism, uh, and his appeasement, and very possibly his outright efforts to encourage people to destabilize the Mubarak regime, uh, broke Egypt, and he now owns it. Glenn Beck is going to blame both sides again while talking to Bill O'Reilly. Let's go to clip number five. I think we're, I think we're actually um, possibly on the, um, witnessing the Archduke Ferdinand moment. Um, Archduke Ferdinand was the guy who was killed, um, uh, shot, that a few months later started the First World War. I, I think we're on, in real dangerous All right, let's, let's connect the dots here. Mm -hmm. So Mubarak, bad guy, right? Bad guy. Okay, really 30 years guy. we've been dealing with this guy. And we're in bed with him. Right, and we pay him a billion and a half dollars yep. a year. Second uh, largest uh, aid. aid. And most of it goes to the military, but it goes back to his pocket a lot sure. of it. Okay, and he does his favors. I mean, he, uh, he's against the jihadists. Mm -hmm. He hasn't caused any trouble with Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, he takes some of the Al-Qaeda captives mm -hmm. and uh, dunks them in the water, whatever he dunks, mm -hmm. does to them. Uh, and he generally cooperates with the United States on mm -hmm. a global initiative. Meanwhile, he brutalizes his own people, and they hate his guts. Right, okay. and they hate us. The average person on the street of, of Cairo thinks they're swept up in some freedom movement. It is not about freedom. It is being orchestrated by the Marxist communists and primarily also the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay. How the hell did the Marxist communists get into the middle of this? I didn't know Van Jones was leading the protest. No, no, the guy's a lunatic, man. It's just, everything comes back to, oh, the Marxists and the communists are around the corner. Look, there hasn't been a Marxist in the country in 30, 40 years. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but are, are they, the Marxists and communists are real threats? In which decade? No, and by the way, everybody's a bad guy. You know, like, oh, Mubarak, he's terrible. You see the conspiracy because we're in bed with Mubarak. But the people on the other side, the protesters, are even bigger conspiracy. They're Marxist communists. Oh, my God, the world's about to end. It's just like right before World War One. On an earlier clip, he said it's like right before September 11th. Now it's right before World War One. Buy gold. <laughs> okay? I mean, he's putting people in a state of absolute panic with things that make absolutely no sense. In the earlier clip when he talked about, oh, there's a pamphlet we found on the border in Arizona who was a suicide bomber from Iran, and you see why the protests in Egypt are bad. No, I don't see, even if that were true, that's from Iran, not from Egypt. But for him, Arabs, who can tell the difference? Like the idea, the idea that Glenn Beck would know that the Iranians are not Arabs? <laughs> no, who are you kidding? <laughs> he, he called Turkey a dictatorship today. It's a democracy. The guy doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. But he is fun, at least to rip apart. So let's do one more. You want to take a Swiss posture and basically let the rest of the world sort out their problems. But here's, the, here's why that can't ever happen. Because the jihad, which is the main threat in the world today, would you agree with that? The jihad? Yes. Okay. They're well, gonna, no. The jihad coupled with the communist so socialist right, I, I see the jihad as more of a problem than a communist socialist movement. All right? They're going to come obvious. after us even if we sit it out. Absolutely. They're going to come after us. Yes. And the, and the stronger they get overseas. How much money? How much money do you have? 
How much money do you have? About what? What is how, that? How much money? How much longer? How many more? Do you realize We how can't fight the way we fought in Afghanistan and Iraq. We can't I, fight. I, I agree with you 100%. We have to do surgical stuff. And we have to be more ruthless than we've but been. But we also have to stand for something. We do we, stand for democracy. We do stand for that. We just don't have are in we some places... Two, how are we putting him in the second largest position of getting our money? It, we are. He is torturing people with look, our money. I understand that. And if you want to, if you want, but the, if you no want rendition, it's totally in, look, fine with me. Thirty if years. We talk you, about thirty. It. Think about it. Thirty years. You had Carter. You had Clinton. I two know. years Obama. Reagan. They had nowhere else to go in that country. I've been there. Why it's do chaos? I, I disagree with you. I don't think we can be a neutral Switzerland. I don't. I, I want I don't you to know this. Can. I want you to know this. I don't think we can go, I don't think we can adopt that posture and survive either. Right. I think we need to, we need to progress to that posture. Right. Go don't, back. Don't use that progress. Word. I know. Reverse very, what they've done to very us. Very frightening. Yeah, I, I literally can't understand what the guy's talking about. I, I really think he's this close to snapping. Like, he's beautiful mind. He's writing shit on a chalkboard. He's like, you know, oh, and then two times three equals MC squared. Marxist, communist. Oh, the, the, the Muslims are coming, those are the Marxists! I don't know which one's more dangerous. Like, is, can anybody follow his logic? But first, so he's definitely against Mubarak there, right? But he thinks that the protesters might be worse because they're Marxists. What? what I, I, it's, and he's got some conspiracy theory. Now, the guy, I'm telling you, man, he's, there's some chance he's going to snap and wind up in an asylum. Like, 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 look, just lose, like, classic old school lose your mind kind of stuff <laughs> let's see it develop on fox news see what happens i hope you enjoyed this show but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating but more importantly amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world so if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. And finally, some have started to notice that outlets like Al Jazeera and Al Jazeera English were providing more substantive live coverage of events in Egypt. As one Salon.com writer put it, at one point Fox News was interviewing former Bush diplomat John Bolton, while the supposedly liberal MSNBC had former military spokesperson Dan Senor. Of course, most U.S. viewers can't watch Al Jazeera English since cable companies won't air it. They will give you Fox News, though, and make you pay for it. The difference between the journalistic approaches of these outlets was accidentally illustrated by Martin Indyk in an interview with MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. Let me ask you about one a tactical question in this, in this diplomatic um, dance, I guess. Are American officials making appearances on Arabic language 
uh, TV channels at this point. Should they be prioritizing doing that right now? Probably. I, I, I don't think they are doing a lot of that at the moment, uh, partly because uh, the uh, Arab, Arab interviewers are, are likely to be a lot more pressing than uh, polite people like you. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that as a grave insult. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, it was meant as a compliment. <laughs> well, maybe that's one reason you see so many U.S. officials on U.S. television. The immediate events of this uprising in Egypt are only a week old as of today. But here's how you can tell the story has ripened in American politics. Here's how you can tell it's already bearing ripe fruit. It is now being used by American politicians to promote some of their favorite pet ideas. People who are real advocates for their chosen policies are typically real opportunists as well. So if you have a chosen policy outcome, something that you want to happen, then every event you are called to comment on can be turned into a new reason to advocate for that thing that you always want anyway. So for example, Republicans tend to really, 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 really want tax cuts, right? In and of themselves, tax cuts are their own Republican reward. And so if the government, say, has a big budget surplus, that's a reason to call for tax cuts. The growing surplus exists because taxes are too high and government is charging more than it needs. The people of America have been overcharged and on their behalf, I'm here asking for a refund. George W. Bush arguing in 2001 that because America had a big budget surplus, we should therefore have tax cuts. Now that America has a big budget deficit, Republicans say it's also time for tax cuts. Obviously, you think the deficit is a, is a major problem, don't you? I do. Was the tax deal, in your opinion, worth the $900 billion added to the deficit? Was it worth Washington it in your does mind? not have a revenue problem. Washington has a spending problem. I think it's worth it. I think it will create jobs uh, and help our economy. So if you want tax cuts, then X happening in the world is a reason for tax cuts. Also, if the opposite of X happens in the world, that too is a reason for tax cuts. That's how opportunism works. That's opportunism in action. Here's how opportunism is working about the Egypt story. Here's John Bolton, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. He wants to run for president. Mr. Bolton's reaction to what's happening in Egypt is that he thinks it means it's time for somebody to bomb Iran. I don't think there's much time to act, and I think the fall of, a, of a, uh, an Egyptian government committed to the peace agreement will almost certainly speed that timetable up. As of now, I think Israel could do what needed to be done, but I don't think they can wait much longer. 
For the record, there are some other occasions that John Bolton thought meant Iran should be bombed. Uh, when there was unrest in Gaza, December 2008, he said that was a good time to bomb Iran. When George W. Bush was preparing to leave office, that was a good time to bomb Iran because Mr. Bush hadn't gotten around to it yet. Uh, there was also a random Tuesday last February when it was a good time to bomb Iran because Iran's president said something John Bolton didn't like. Uh, and now Egypt, something's happening in Egypt. Time to bomb Iran. The situation in Egypt is also being used right now by the drill baby drill crowd. Um, Think Progress today highlighting a number of Republicans in Congress, including Senator David Vitter, who have responded to the protests in Egypt by calling for increased oil drilling in the U.S. of A. Other news events that have precipitated a call by Republicans to drill baby drill? Well, there was the sluggish U.S. economy in the summer of 2008, reason to drill. A landslide victory by Republicans in the 2004 elections? Also a reason to drill. A thoroughly debunked claim that China was magically drilling for oil off the coast of Cuba? Reason to drill. Packers are in the Super Bowl. Reason to drill. Somebody's got a birthday today. Reason to drill. With some folks, um, opportunism uh, is always, uh, opportunity is always knocking when it comes to their chosen policies. Um, but for some folks, opportunism is not about pushing for a specific policy. Um, it's about choosing every occasion as the right occasion to push for their favorite idea, for their favorite story. Like, for example, the idea, the story that it's the end of the world. This is the coming insurrection. It is. And it is imperative that you get up to speed. Do your own homework. This is not about Egypt. This is about your hometown and your love lifestyle. It is important to see what is really going on and what this leads to. I believe, again, the coming insurrection. As opposed to the other times the coming insurrection was upon us, now the people protesting against Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, now that means that the coming insurrection is upon us because China is going to take over New Zealand. Also, the Muslim world is all one country now. There are three powers that you will see really emerge. One, a Muslim caliphate that controls the Mideast and parts of Europe. Two, China that will control Asia, the southern half of Africa, part of the Middle East, Australia, maybe New Zealand, and God only knows what else. And Russia, which will control all of the old former Soviet Union bloc, plus maybe the Netherlands? Not really sure, but their strong arm is coming. Oh, poor Amsterdam. I forgot also to say Russia's back. Russia's going to be like the Soviet Union, but worse. Um... For Mr. Beck and for others who see a direct ratio between their own success and how afraid they can make their audiences, uh, it turns out that an uprising in Egypt is even better evidence of this being the end of the world than, say, the last evidence we had, which was President Obama passing Wall Street reform last July. How does creating a massive government bureaucracy with the power to watch your bank account and track every credit card account over your shoulder help your economic liberty what is wrong with us america why are people not in the streets your republic is over wall street reform your republic is out 
the mainstream right and Republican congressional leaders are generally sort of supporting uh, what the Obama administration is doing right now uh, in regards to Egypt and diplomacy. They're being relatively cautious and diplomatic. But to the right of them, woohoo! Within a span of one week, it went from protest on the streets of Egypt to China's going to take over New Zealand. It went from protest on the streets of Egypt to Barack Obama supports the secret annihilation of Israel, and so do you. It went from protest on the streets of Egypt to this was all some secret plot hatched by unions. And if you're wondering, yes, this is all an elaborate excuse slash explanation for us believing that Christwire.org was something other than satire yesterday. They say, quote, the escalating crisis in Egypt could become a defining moment for Sarah Palin. Governor Palin needs to speak out publicly and forcibly for an American-led invasion of Egypt to protect our interest in North America. As the largest recipient of foreign aid next to Israel, the U.S. has a tremendous investment in keeping Egypt stable and relatively terrorist-free. Upon her direction, other Western nations are sure to join us an American-led invasion of North Africa. To be clear, this is what these folks are asking Sarah Palin to do. This is not Ms. Palin's own idea. Yeah, so those folks asking Sarah Palin to invade North Africa, uh, it turns out are writers for a satirical website called Christwire.org, which is really actually very excellent. Props to them for a brilliant piece of satire. Shame on us for believing it. But in a world where China taking over New Zealand is what passes for real analysis on the situation in Egypt, how do we know that's not satire too? This is the coming insurrection. This is what I have been warning about. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tyrone Gale. Over the weekend, neoconservative columnist Bill Kristol took issue with Beck's rants of an Islamo-socialist caliphate, calling them hysteria and comparing Beck to the John Birch Society. It's like, really? Have you done a minute of research, Bill? Have you done it? Because if you did, a minute of research. I can show you. I'll, I'll point you to all the credible... I'll, I'll point you to their own words. Beck stood his ground and encouraged Crystal to watch his program for more of his, quote, evidence. Some of them want a caliphate. That is not a crazy idea. The um, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini talked about it just last week. It's not a crazy idea. It's not a conspiracy. Yesterday on Glenn Beck's show, uh, you know, he's been saying uh, for some time, he's been quite a, an authority on Egypt. Yeah. Um, and he's, uh, I assume he's probably studied there. Well, uh, he was yeah. probably, a, 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 he probably majored in uh, Middle Eastern history I or Egyptian so. history. He, he sort of speaks with that kind of, you know, right, sure. uh, gravitas. Uh, now he'll, uh, he'll uh, point out that uh, everybody in the media, everybody who went to Harvard, everybody who went to Princeton, everybody who works for the New York Times, and PBS. Apparently everyone who went to college at all. <laughs> anybody who went to college at all, uh, they're all morons, and Glenn Beck told you the uh, truth. Also, you'll get to see him uh, 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 walking around like a uh, crazy person. And uh, a little also reminder of the sort of, uh, uh, of the religious end of the world doomsday nature of Glenn Beck, that they yeah. love to talk about Armageddon, and there's a little aspect of Armageddon in this clip, uh, clip four. How, 
How have we survived this long being this stupid? Good heavens! I don't even understand how we survived a, a week with a media like this. Are you kidding me? All these Harvard know-it-alls that have no clue as how to... They are given the story. They write the damn story. And yet, they will see. Come with me. They will see this. In the paper, front page, they see this. But they'll say, this is crazy. Oh, this is crazy. What? Oh, and then he says it's going to cascade into a revolution throughout the Middle East, and it could possibly affect Egypt or uh, uh, Europe. It could possibly affect London. Oh, that's crazy talk. Really? I like that one. Again, it's coming to Europe. It's going to come. It's going to come everywhere. Uh, who, who's going to orchestrate this? Who's he worried about? I don't know. I mean, he's crazy. He's, you know, he, I, I, honestly, like, you know, it's, I, you watch this stuff, you hear him speaking, you hear him going off and, and proselytizing, and, I, I, you know, he, he's nuts. Come and with me. Crazy. Yeah, come, come with me. me. Right. It's like, it's like Mr. Rogers. Go, let's come to it's land just, of make-believe. There's you know, a compelling uh, television component to it because it's, uh, there's some, it, in a weird way, I mean, he's crazy, and in a weird way, it's, you feel like it's all fake, but there's, uh, but you don't know what to expect, and so there's a... Oh, it's very provocative. There's I mean, authenticity yeah. in it because he, he doesn't seem like everyone else. Right. Uh, now, uh, And the problem is so many people go with him into that next room. You know, I mean, that he's right. not the, the kind of viewer that will just join him and go along into the other room. Um, I want to play the next clip, uh, which is going to be uh, uh, clip five. Hey, JR, is this the one where he writes on the blackboard? I like this because it's really like you've been bad in school and you've pissed the teacher off because this one has... Um, Writing on the blackboard angrily when the yeah. teacher, you know, where we've all experienced that. So this one has writing on, angrily, angry writing on the blackboard. It has silence. Like, you know, like when you've been like the class has been. The, cla the class has yeah. acted up. And reprimanded. Then the, exactly. And you hear the writing and you're yeah. like, oh, we're in trouble. How long is this going to last? And then sort of whisper yelling. <laughs> I love whisper yelling. Whisper yelling is great. Most of it, you, you get it sometimes from your teacher. You get it a lot from your girlfriend. <laughs> um, right. Uh, so uh, here's uh, Glenn Beck uh, uh, writing on the blackboard angrily. Si a rare moment of silence on television, which you don't get, which I actually give him some props for. Because every time, my brother used to tell me, a brother uh, correspondent for Dateline NBC, used to tell me to break eye contact, which I do a ton now, arguably too much on TV. Yeah. Break eye contact. He goes, write, uh, uh, write a good first sentence, good last sentence, write a good stand-up, uh, break eye contact, and occasionally stop talking. Because as soon as you stop talking, they'll stop eating and look up. Um, it's a great point. Glenn Beck, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Glenn Beck stopped talking, and as I was taking notes on what he was saying, he stopped talking, and I was like... What, the tape stop? What happened? <laughs> and you totally, you look up. Yeah. So uh, here's uh, Glenn Beck going uh, crazy. Clip, uh, what is this, five? And of course our president, oh, our president, or oh, our president is proud of the youth. Listen to our president, what he said today about Egypt. Transformation that's taking place because the people of Egypt are calling for change. And they've turned out in extraordinary numbers representing all ages and all walks of life. But it's young people who've been at the forefront. 
generation, a new generation, your generation, who want their voices to be heard. happening. This is a day of transformation. Fundamental transformation, Mr. President. This is a day of transformation. Why? Because the people have called for change. Your slogan, too. And it's all people. But mainly, it's young people, just like you. You can change the world transform it. Wow. Thank you for your leadership and guidance, Mr. President. Mm. So that's funny because he's got the blackboard and the yelling and the whispering and so forth. But that's also what we're, that's the it's, racism. Uh, yeah, too. I don't even think it's funny. Honestly, I don't think it's funny. Like, well, I think it's, it's irresponsible. It's scary. It is racist. It is. Um, it is also. It's. Re yeah. Talk about change. I mean, he's he's reworking the structure of what happened there. He's saying it's bad that it's changed essentially because it's only changed because of what Barack Obama's. That was his slogan. So automatically, that means it's bad. If there's change, it means it's bad. Yeah, you make it very simple there. That uh, because he's managed to work it into the framework of of stealing of, of uh, corrupting Barack Obama's message, that therefore it must be bad because yeah. it's we. He's in favor of democracy, but not this kind of democracy. The race. I also I think it's funny and sick at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I love the blackboards. I can't get enough of it. I just love the sound of someone writing on but the it's blackboard. It's mockingly funny. I mean, it, but it's it's scary. I mean, it's scary that that he is speaking to people the way a Sunday morning preacher does on the other channel. I mean, he's in that tone where he whispers like, and then the Lord said, don't do that. You know, it's the same, it's the same cadence. It's everything. And it's, it's scary and irresponsible. But I also think that there is some of that racism there because there's that moment of saying and that sort of that way that the right has of suggesting that Obama is a Muslim, that they run the clip of Obama and they say, and he says, essentially, paraphrasing, isn't that interesting? Change. That's what's happening here. Change. That was your slogan, wasn't it? Look at these Muslims. They want change. You wanted change. And it's young people. You had young people. Yeah. Interesting. Reminding everyone that this guy, Obama, if he isn't a Muslim, right, he's definitely aligned with the Muslims. Yeah. He had the same message, the same young people who want change, they're one and the same. This dark colored guy who looks vaguely Muslim and has a Muslim name, they're all one and the same. And as he keeps saying in this thing that we keep going back, fu, uh, back to, uh, be afraid. This is dangerous because they're coming to London. Yeah. There's no stopping it. It's this tide of something that I'm not explaining correctly, meaning Beck's not explaining correctly, yeah. but you need to fear it. Consistently, you need to fear it. What drives a man to lock his doors and bar his windows tight? To leave his lights on timers so his house appears so bright? A temper fence around his door and cameras on the walls? A fortress so secure that he can hardly get in at all? Fear is a villain when he grips you late at night. He'll catch you when your back is turned, he's watching you 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Drives a man to spend his life regretting chances lost. When a man has lost his chance, what man can count the cost? Fear is a villain. There are plenty of things to criticize about U.S. media coverage of Egypt, the reliance on U.S. politicians as experts, or the cliches about the delicate diplomatic dance inherent in supporting a dictator. But some moments stand out for being unusually direct. Take NBC correspondent Richard Engel's report on January 28th, showing that tear gas containers being fired on pro-democracy forces, quote, say clearly in English, made in the USA, close quote. That simple act of reporting cut against the grain of much of what we were hearing in the corporate media. But Engel's very next words seem to back away from the facts about the dictator's U.S.-supplied weapons. Egyptians have been picking them up, they've been looking them over, and from an Egyptian perspective, it does seem like Mubarak and the United States are working together. So the U.S. is walking a fine line here. That Mubarak and the United States have been working together is not an Egyptian perspective, it's a fact. But you can understand Engel's predicament. If he stated the obvious, that U.S.-supplied weapons help Mubarak keep his boot on the opposition's neck, it would make his conclusion that the Obama administration is walking a fine line between the two sides awkward. Yeah, she is beautiful, but she don't need a thing to me. I've spent two weeks in Silver Lake, California sun cascading. Generally speaking, compared to the overall American population, the number of people watching cable news at any one time is not a very big number. Uh, but of the people who are watching cable news at any one time, about half of them these days are usually watching Fox. Now, I'm not noting that angrily or happily from the perspective of a competitor. It's just true. And it is relevant to our country, even if you don't care about the cable news ratings race. In the rest of the world, when things said on Fox get debunked, we tend to think, oh, that's debunked. And then it ends up being a surprise to all of us that something roundly debunked by all responsible observers persists in the American consciousness. Por ejemplo, death panels. They're going to be saying, no, you can't give this person a hip replacement. They're too old. This will be done by this federal board, right. uh, which is really the sure. death panel that Sarah Palin was talking about. Death panels. Yes, back in the news again. He warned Americans about so-called death panels. Those death panels, which created a big controversy. Death panels. 
Not actually in health reform, not even close, not true, except on Fox, it is true. And since a lot of people watch Fox, a lot of people believe that thing that's not true is true, and so our politics are now stupid. Our politics are now partially organized around a thing that is a lie, because Fox said it a lot. We are consigned as a country to have stupid nonsense fights about something that is not in health reform, instead of fighting about what health reform actually is because of the influence of Fox and because of their dedication to that particular lie. So with that as the relevant background, here's fair warning of what a really big part of the country is being told to believe about Egypt. The radicals here in America that are operating as um, Marxists and communists that are in support of this. Their goals include the transformation of America into an Islamic state, the destruction of the Western world. There is a strange alliance between the left and the Islamists that we're seeing. I think it's all part of the coming insurrection. You can call it a new world order or a caliphate, but the world right now is being divvied up. And the uber left and the Islamists and the global elites are are moving in the same direction. I'm not saying they're plotting together. The Islamists and the Uber left are. And they share some commonalities. I mean, honestly, I can't tell the difference between extreme leftists and radical Islamists. I, I don't. Except I haven't seen anybody on the left take an airplane and blow up the buildings. But they're both going for a new world order and they're go both doing it through riots. That was uh, earlier this week. Here was today. A caliphate is a system of government established in Islam. It's governed by Islamic law, otherwise known as Sharia law. All Islamic governments would unify under this caliphate, one new world order. We already have it happening in some parts. We have Islamic law happening in some parts around the world, including America. The left and Islamic radicals in our own country speaking together side by side. And that's how you can understand Egypt. Can you imagine how stupid our debates are going to be about foreign policy in this country for the next few months after Fox spent the entire week of the Egypt revolution broadcasting these conspiracy theories day after day after day? This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Tyrone Gale. In response to recent political turmoil in Egypt, the right-wing media in the U.S. tried to tie the unrest to a political opposition group called the Muslim Brotherhood. Now Jimmy Carter's out there saying the Muslim Brotherhood's not behind this. The Muslim Brotherhood says they are. Obama says we support the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood says we're going to tear up any country that has any relationship with the United States. Of course, President Obama never even mentioned the Muslim Brotherhood in his remarks on Friday. Most news reports are noting the Brotherhood's relatively low profile in the Egyptian protests and have suggested that the predominantly secular protesters would be deaf to the Brotherhood's religious message. If the Muslim Brotherhood were indeed anti-American, they wouldn't be indicative of the greater Egyptian population's mindset. Negative views of the U.S. have dropped dramatically from 73% in 2008 to 29% in 2010 among Egyptians. While Republican leadership has remained quietly supportive of President Obama during the Egyptian crisis, conservative commentators have been on the attack. 
First, there's the Obama isn't doing enough line of attack. How's President Obama doing on, on uh, Egypt? I don't think they have a clue. I mean, I think it's very frightening to watch this administration. Would anybody? Well, Reagan would have had because Reagan, I mean, Reagan would have entered office thing. Reagan would have thought about and studied radical Islam. And Reagan would have had a strategy and would have pursued it. Is that right? Reagan would have pursued the terrorists. You mean like the ones who bombed our marine barracks in Lebanon, killing 241 service members? Oh, no, that's right. Reagan cut and run from Lebanon after that attack. Or maybe Gingrich meant Reagan would have pursued the radical Islamists to make a deal with them, as he did when he negotiated with terrorists and sold them arms for hostages in the Iran-Contra affair. No one was more accommodating to terrorist demands than Ronald Reagan. Now, the second line of attack on President Obama is that he's done too much, that he shouldn't be on the side of the protesters. In fact, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense and current lunatic Frank Gaffney theorizes that the president is in cahoots with the Muslim Brotherhood. The Obama administration's policies are being viewed through and actually articulated and now implemented through influence operations that the Muslim Brotherhood itself is running in our own country. You cannot possibly get your strategy right, you cannot execute it effectively if you don't know that the enemy is actually giving you advice yeah. on how to proceed. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He thinks the Muslim Brotherhood is taking over the country and he is conspiring with the president and giving him advice. They're about to take over. Look, the Republican strategy in the Middle East has been an absolute disaster for the last 30 years. First, it was Reagan running from or making sweetheart deals with terrorists. Then it was George W. Bush launching senseless wars for so-called democracy. Today, details of Don Rumsfeld's new book have come out. Rummy says Bush insisted on new military plans for Iraq just 15 days after September 11th, meaning that they decided that they were going to Iraq no matter who actually did 9-11. If you think that's bad, according to the Pentagon notes, four hours after the attacks, four hours, Rumsfeld said, quote, my interest is to hit Saddam Hussein at the same time, not to look only at UBL, UBL being Osama bin Laden. So the brilliant Republican strategy in the Middle East was to not focus on the guy who actually ordered 9-11, but to instead attack a random Middle Eastern country that had nothing to do with 9-11 and was one that they always wanted to attack anyway. Look, in the final analysis, Republicans can't decide whether we should make deals with terrorists or invade random Muslim countries. And now they can't decide whether they should blame Obama for being for Mubarak or against Mubarak. All they have is vitriol, blind criticism, and their proven failures in the past. Hey Jay, this is Todd from the City of Angels and Really Bad Drivers. I just uh, heard the comments from Chuck out in Salt Lake City, which was fantastic that somebody else out there was thinking much as I was thinking. Um, and I wanted to support your comments, um, saying that if you know race actually had anything to do with this, you know, not having because the president is black, um, yeah, I would be ashamed of myself too. Uh, I thought it was an astute observation for you to bring up. Um, because 
as you further clarified in this last show, uh, a lot of these people who are Democrats don't understand while somebody like myself who worked for many months to get candidate Obama elected as president are so angry with them. Uh, they, they don't realize that financial reform did nothing to address too big to fail, where Bank of America is now 143% larger than it was before, that it specifically excluded CDOs, these credit default swaps, which put AIG on the hook for $12 trillion. So a lot of Democrats don't get that. Um, and the issue of rates would be such an easy issue for people, you know, especially on the right, to bring up that making the point and all the nuanced point that, well, health reform that only delivers us to the private industry isn't really health reform. Uh, all those kind of arguments would completely get lost. There would be animosity amongst Democrats and especially, you know, with our friends in the black community, um, which would be terrible. You know, and I'm at a point where I just really would like to tear the whole system down and let it burn. But I also don't want to hurt people unnecessarily or uh, add further tension because, yeah, I'm not upset with President Obama because he's black, white, yellow, green, polka dot, man, woman at all. I'm upset because of his policies. And uh, I think he promised to do better and um, has failed nearly every step of the way with the exception of don't ask don't tell so um i'm with you chuck i'm with you jay take care hi jay this is chris from middletown new york and i want to say thanks for such a great show and uh, to address something that is recurring when people call in and ask about you know let your cable company know you want a certain channel it's time for america as well as anyone freedom-loving people to actually just sever their cable service uh, and stop watching cable and satellite TV uh, because they don't have a la carte. Uh, we pay for the one channel you want, you're paying for 500 channels of crap that you don't need and lots of, um, what's the word, uh, propaganda. So the Internet serves all those purposes. I've never been happier than when I severed the connection. And uh, so instead of writing your cable company that you want something that might be against their interest, like current TV, uh, watch it on the Internet. I mean, I found your show on the Internet, and I've been better for it. Thanks again, and have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. First, I just want to respond to that second uh, voicemail we got. Turns out that was one of the, my favorite voicemails I've ever gotten because, uh, you know, it's not really a political issue, so it hasn't come up before. But I'm a huge, huge television hater. The idea of sitting in front of a TV and watching, uh, you know, shows with 10 minutes of commercials every 30 minutes makes me physically ill. Like I get sick to my stomach uh, thinking of doing that. Uh, I'm a giant proponent of getting all of your entertainment through the internet. Uh, I haven't owned a TV or paid for a cable subscription in years and years, uh, and I, I've never had a happier time in my life and and have never never had a period in my life where I consumed fewer 
commercial advertisements than I do right now. So, um, so I definitely support that. You know, I, I was basically supportive of the guy in the previous show who said, if you, you know, if you want uh, current TV, you should call your cable company. And, you know, I'm not opposed to that at all. Uh, but what I am so much more in favor of is companies like Netflix and Hulu and set top boxes like the Roku player and, uh, and, you know, Apple TV swooping in, uh, eating the cable company's lunch and letting them shrivel up and go the way of blockbuster video. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the opportunity doesn't come up very often, but if I get the chance to advocate for the complete overthrow of the current, uh, media paradigm, I'll, I will take that gladly. Secondly, uh, I have a great example of what it's like to always be right. Um, I've, I think I've gone over this once on the show before, but I know I'm, I'm sure many of you missed it. I have a, a patented two-step process for always being right. Uh, so take notes. This is important. You can use this in your uh, everyday lives. Step one is to simply be right. If you, if you can, in any given situation, be right. Uh, but step two is if you ever find yourself to be wrong, all you have to do is change your mind. And just like that, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like a superpower to always be right. And all you have to do to be right is be flexible. It's fascinating. So um, coming back to the gun issue that's that's been topic of conversation via, you know, emails and uh, and voicemails and, and, you know, back from when I did that episode on uh, gun control, I've gotten a couple more emails on it with some pretty well-reasoned arguments. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read. I'm, I have to read one of them and then paraphrase the other because I simply cannot find the other one. I don't know what happened to it. So, But I, kn I know what the guy said. So uh, first email from Gabriel says, Jay, I take issue with Rachel Maddow's reasoning and your support of it when it comes to people's desire to have guns to protect themselves from the government. The argument being that if people wanted a military way of defending themselves from the government, they would have to have the same military technology or it would be useless, aka nukes. The U.S. has had nukes since World War I and every military loss since then has been at the hands of guerrilla tactics by people defending their homes with little more than secondhand rifles. By your reasoning and Rachel Maddow's, we should never lose any military engagement that we have technological superiority, superiority and that is clearly not the case. So that's one argument. The other guy's argument was nuclear weapons. Come on. They're not going to use nuclear weapons within our own borders. You know, the U.S. government isn't going to attack the U.S. people with nuclear weapons and vice versa. You know, uh, the American people are not going to attack uh, Washington, D.C. with nuclear weapons in order to defend ourselves against our own government. So uh, that was his argument why it was a fallacy. Uh, and then this argument from this email, I think – is really good. Like that's a pretty well thought out argument. So a couple arguments like these, I'm like, oh, you know what? I, that's that's a pretty good point. If uh, and, you know, another to paraphrase more from the email I don't have in front of me, uh, he was saying that uh, you can take an argument and let it go to its logical conclusion, as Rachel Maddow does, uh, leading to the conclusion of nuclear weapons. But it, when you take it so far to that logical conclusion, it becomes illogical, basically. And, you know, I read that, I was like, oh, you know, and that's a pretty good point. Um, that when you think about it, that's kind of illogical. So, um, but this email gets even better in, in, as it continues. Uh, so uh, Gabriel says, 
If your argument is that in these times, given the tools we have to redress our complaints within the government, that violent revolution is utterly unnecessary and stupid, then I agree. But then let's talk about how apathy and ignorance is the true enemy of our freedom and not debate what weaponry is needed for a coup. Exactly. I think I think people who are making that gun argument about uh, you know trying to counteract the talk about how we need guns to defend ourselves against the government to counteract that with saying, oh sure, you know if you if you if you need guns to defend yourself against the government, well then you must want nukes. At trying to make that argument into a straw man argument when that's not really what gun advocates are saying. Um, and, and probably like these liberal, clear thinking people, that's probably exactly what they would agree with. They're like, yeah, 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 no, we don't need nukes. We're not even saying that. Uh, so don't put words in our mouths is what I would imagine they would say as I just put words in their mouths. Um, <laughs> so, so the much better argument as, as just laid out here is what we're really saying is to counter the argument of we need guns to defend ourselves against the government our counter argument is no you don't come on uh, our our democracy is 300 years old uh you know it's pretty solid we're doing okay uh we're not under any kind of tyranny and uh, and we're not going to need to overthrow the government any, anytime soon we really have a pretty decent system in place uh we need to focus a lot more on getting corporate money out of politics rather than uh getting you know corrupt politicians out of office by, you know, sticking them up, you know? Um, so th there, there are ways to fix our system that don't involve armed revolution. And I think that's what really uh, smart, clear thinking people uh, are actually advocating for. So to answer uh, Gabriel's question about what my argument really is, you know, what do I really believe? Do I just think that uh, given the tools that we have to redress our complaints within the government, that and uh, which means that violent revolution is utterly unnecessary and stupid? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I think. So this has been fun. I'm sincerely glad we've had this conversation. Uh, I hope we've all learned a little something. I know I have. So... Uh, if you want, want to continue, you want to add your two cents to this, by all means, uh, please leave a voicemail. Reading all the emails kind of exhausts me. <laughs> so uh, let us hear what you have to say. Uh, the number, to, again, 206-202-3410. I just want to thank a couple of members. Kathy J signed up for a leftist membership, signed up for a full year in advance on February 17th of last year. So her membership just renewed. Thanks very much, Kathy. And uh, Matthew R. signed up for a leftist membership back on August 9th. Uh, monthly membership and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Kathy and Matthew and all of the members and donors who keep the show going. I couldn't do it without you guys. Donate your accounts to the show. Find out all the details at donateyouraccount.com slash bestoftheleft. Stay tuned into the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash bestoftheleft and facebook.com slash bestoftheleft for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode. All of those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought but now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A diamond in a room
Just a fond flower 